Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight, what we're going to do here is we're going to um, start a brand new series on the book of Philippians. Now, this is going to be a little bit humorous for some of you guys because... um, because um, you would think that if I'm starting a series on the book of Philippians, that I would start reading in the book of Philippians. But that's not what's going to be happening tonight. As I was getting uh, ready this week, the Lord kind of turned my attention to something else that I, that I think is uh, um, kind of where we're going we're gonna to live tonight and the rest of our time here together. And so um, we're not going to necessarily talk about the book of Philippians just yet. We are going to talk about how Paul got to Philippi. So um, the book of Philippians was written by Paul to the church and believers in, Phil- in the, the city of Philippi while he was in prison in Rome. So, um, but there's an entire uh, ordeal that he went through, a bunch of hoops and things that he jumped through just to get to Philippi. And I want to focus in on that tonight as we start this new series. And I want to talk about tonight about how we follow God's lead, about how we follow God's lead. So there's a couple of ways that we do that. And number one um, on your notes here is the one of the ways, the the first way we follow God's lead is we have to commit our life to Christ. Now you might, um, if you're kind of from my, you know, my generation, you might think, well, if I'm going to follow Christ, I got to commit my life to him, right? Like no, duh, (laughs) you know, like there might be a little valley girl in you there somewhere. But, um, but what I want to do is I want to draw a distinction between a difference between being saved and committing our life to Christ. This next line in your notes. There is a difference between being saved and committing our life to Christ. And the next line in your notes, there is a difference between being saved and being a disciple of Christ. <clears throat> now, here's what I mean. Uh, scripture is very clear. If any person who confesses Jesus and believes in their heart that Christ raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Point blank. End of story. You're going to heaven. There is another level, a a deeper level of commitment past that belief that moves us from just being someone who's saved into someone who is um, acting in the the way of a disciple. And Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 3 lines out that there's a couple of different levels for us to pursue as Christ followers. So let's read that together. Hebrews 6 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death or sin and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. What the writer of Hebrews is telling us here today is he's saying, look, all of the things that he just listed, faith in Christ, um, uh, the, 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 you know, repentance from sin, resurrection from the dead, eternal judgment, Christ coming back from us uh, for us one day to spend eternity with him, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of that is what we need to believe to become saved. 
but that is the elementary foundation. There's something that's going to be built on top of that. And everything that's built on top of that foundation is what I'm talking about tonight. We need to move forward into building past that foundation. And the, our name of our church is Roots Community Church. But our goal in building roots and building that unmovable foundation is that we grow a relationship with Christ that does not uh, falter or waver during hard times, but it also produces fruit that people can uh, sample throughout their life that will point people back to Christ. If you are involved in Roots Community Church for any length of time, you are going to be encouraged, uh, nudged, dare I say pushed at it sometimes. You will be, um, uh, you will be uh, heaped upon in a good way, a positive peer pressure to get past the elementary stages and into a life that is committed to Christ. That is how you find the deeper things, and that is where you eventually find your purpose. Number two, if we're going to follow God, we need to ask God to reveal our purpose. <clears throat> ask God to reveal our purpose. <clears throat> See, our purpose, and th th this word purpose is kind of a catchphrase for a lot of people in our culture today. They're looking for their own purpose, but our purpose is, as believers in Christ is always a small part of God's greater purpose. It's the next line in your notes. Our purpose is always a small part of God's greater purpose. God's greater purpose is found in 1 Timothy 2 verses 3 through 4. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. He wants, that is his will, his purpose is his will. This is what he wants. He wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. If we're going to find our purpose as people who are following after Christ and committing our life to him, if we're going to find that purpose, um, we're going to have to understand that that purpose will be a small portion a very microscopic portion. If you were to draw this big picture, it would be just a few pixels big in the grand scheme of thing, but it will be used precisely by the Lord to accomplish his overall purpose. <clears throat> I heard a guy um, this week, or probably last week, talk about this new love that he has for watches. And I, I forgot mine tonight, but um, uh, he loves watches, not the kind of watches that I buy you know, in that 30 to $60 range, you know what I mean? Those are nice for me. He's talking about, he got into how these uh, Rolexes are built. And, you know, now it's not a Rolex. It's a bunch of other names that I don't even know what they are. Um, but they're like 10, 20, $30,000 watches. And they're not necessarily because they've got, you know, diamonds or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, jewels on them. It's because of the precision of the machine. And he talks about how if you open up that, that watch, that every single little piece has an individual purpose to make that masterful machine, that, 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 that beautifully expensive watch work. Everything has to be machined perfectly. There can't be a little burr on any of the wheels. It has to be polished a certain way to make sure that that timepiece never fails. If one of those pieces inside of that watch decides to do its own thing, it doesn't work. 
And that's, that's not the perfect example because if one of us doesn't work, God never fails. He'll just make it continue to keep on working. But if we're going to participate in his overall purpose, we're going to have to realize that our purpose is never self-serving. It's never self-serving. Our purpose serves God, serves others, and points people to Jesus. It serves God, it serves others, and points people to Jesus. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. If you've been here for any number of time, you probably heard us talk about this scripture one way or another, and it's this. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based upon these two commandments. What that's telling us is that when God shows us our purpose, it can never be self serving. If our commandment, if our instruction from Jesus himself is to commit everything we have to God and then love people so that we can represent God well and point them back to him for salvation and a greater life of discipleship, then we need to make sure that that purpose is never self-serving. You know, a lot of times when we talk about um, uh, our our purpose, it's kind of intertwined with what our gifts and our talents are. So uh, most people uh, who are not saved will look at their gifts and their talents and they go, oh, this is my purpose, is to make this talent great, is to make this, this ability or this skill that I have wonderfully great and everybody can see how wonderfully great I am. And what happens is, is their gift becomes their purpose, but that's not how God designed us to be as followers of Christ. The next line in your notes, our gifts are never our purpose. They are a vehicle that carries our purpose and message to others. There has to be a purpose inside of us that is greater than, woo, look at me. The vehicle of that gift carries the message and purpose that God has placed in us to fulfill his greater will, and it carries that to others. A great example of this is uh, Tim Tebow. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? So might as well have a, a football player reference. He doesn't play anymore. And I love Tim Tebow. I'm a Florida boy. He went to Florida, the University of Florida. I'm a Florida State guy. So, you know, he's not perfect, obviously. But um, he went to the wrong college. But uh, so, but we were watching him. And, you know, when, when my Florida State Seminoles were getting beat by him, because I don't think he ever lost to him, really. So, dang you, Tim Tebow. <laughs> um, uh, but he... Um, uh, when he was winning his national championships in college, he was always pointing the finger and the glory and the message of what happened and his ability. It all comes from God. He got drafted in the first round, went to the Denver Broncos, and he played there for a little bit. He um, went a couple other little places, and he wasn't a very good NFL quarterback. He just wasn't. <clears throat> Far better than me. So don't, don't get it twisted like I think I got him. No, 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 no. He was great. Um, compared to me. But compared to everybody else, he didn't really last very long. But one of the things I recognized about him is that his purpose was never to be known as the, per- as the greatest gifted quarterback ever to live. He wanted to dedicate his time to his craft and, and make sure that he was uh, developing his skill and his ability to the absolute pinnacle that he could achieve in his life and he did that but that was not his purpose 
We literally, as a society, have built Hall of Fame um, um, enshrinement ceremonies. And some of that happened even today for some of the people who are going to go into the Hall of Fame. Because we're celebrating people who worked on their gift. But what I liked about Tim is that his gift was not his purpose. His gift was something that he used to build a platform to draw attention and action to his purpose. His purpose is funding the missionary work from his family and his father and his mother in the Philippines. His greater purpose is helping uh, physically and mentally handicapped children that are here in the United States. His greater purpose is to get involved and on a global level to try to, to, to end human trafficking, if at all possible, in his lifetime. And so all of these gifts, all of these abilities, all of these talents served the purpose. That way, if the, someone comes along and has a better skill or a better gift than he had, he was not ultimately discouraged because he wasn't there to celebrate his gift. He was there to promote his purpose. We can't celebrate the gifts. The goal of our gifts and talent is to bring attention and action to our purpose if we're believers in Christ. <clears throat> Number three, if we're going to follow God, we're going to have to act in obedience. Act in obedience. <clears throat> Um, when most, probably everybody who's listening to this, or um, if you don't, you can go back and read it in Acts chapter 9, but most of us probably know the story of how Paul, who used to be named Saul, became a believer, how he converted to Christianity. Uh, when he was Saul, he was one of the most notorious men who would go and murder, capture, and torment Christians. He was, his whole job was to persecute them, and he would go city to city, and he was actually there when Stephen was stoned, holding the coats of those who were, who were, who were literally stoning Stephen until he died. When Paul um, converts to Christianity on the road to Damascus, you can go back in Acts chapter 9 and read all of that if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, but... He converts to Christianity, and he waits for a couple of days, and then he immediately gets involved in the cause of preaching the gospel. And let's read together what, what happened. Paul immediately started preaching, but it caused massive amounts of chaos. So let's read Acts chapter 9, verse 19 through 31, and see what happened. <clears throat> After he, Paul, ate some food and regained his strength, Afterwards, he ate some food and regained his strength. Excuse me. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Is this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers back in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him, but Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. 
Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told, and told him how Saul had, been, uh, had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. So Saul, so Saul stayed with the apostles and went around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. Now watch what happens. All this chaos has been going on. All this stuff is happening. The believers don't believe he really is a Christian now because they've heard about how notorious he was about you know killing and rounding up and, and, and um, persecuting Christians. The people who used to, he used to work for are now mad at him and are trying to kill him. So everywhere he's going, even when he's with the apostles, when he's with Barnabas, when he's preaching in Damascus, all these places, there's this great... Um, uh, um, um, emotion of chaos that's going on around him. So what do they do? They try, um, but when the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. They took him back to his hometown. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria and became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. Paul was, or Saul was converted to Paul. He immediately is ready to go and preach the gospel. He against um, the cause of Christ. Now he is just with as much fervor and vigor fighting for the cause of Christ. And here he is moving along, going forward, and, and um, trying to, to right the wrong, trying to follow what the direction of the Holy Spirit has given him. And there is chaos all around him. And they decide it's best that he goes home. I find it um, interesting that Paul didn't fight that. What? You're sending me home? I've been out here killing Christians and now I'm ready to tell them with just as much fervor that Christ is actually the Messiah and I want to be in the fray here. But Paul had to go home to Tarsus and wait. He had to wait. Um, I know, me and Nina know a lot about waiting. We... For a, for a long time in our marriage and in life, we knew that ministry was on the horizon, was over, you know, the, over the hump or around the corner for us in some way, shape, or form. We didn't know it was going to be, you know, planning a church, obviously, or, you know, maybe not obviously, but we had no intention of doing that at all. That's not what we wanted at all. Um, we didn't want to be lead pastors of a church at all, but we knew there was ministry. And I remember days where I would go to work. And I would think, God, can you just now open the door? I was, we were already doing a lot of music and traveling and ministry and stuff. And it was almost as like if God pulled us out and put us somewhere and said, Hey, you just stay right there. Park it. I fought against that almost daily. Tears, weeping. God, why? Begging him, calling friends, asking them, do you think it's okay that I just go get involved somewhere? Like trying to get someone to get on my side and agree with me that it's okay to go. But God made us wait for a long time. Depending on which historian you look at and which one you read, Paul waited between three and nine years in Tarsus. 
before he got to go participate in the ministry. Three to nine years. When he left that town, what were people saying? Uh, I thought you were the big dude who was out there like persecuting Christians. You were going to be the next big guy out there with these Pharisees and these religious leaders. And uh, now you're back here? He had to sit there and wait in obedience. Sometimes the act of obedience is waiting. He had to wait. When we wait, next on your notes, God prepares us, others, and the right opportunity. God prepares us, others, and the right opportunity. We don't have time to read all of this scripture here tonight, but in Acts chapter 11, what we find is that Peter is instructed by God that um, the gospel message is not only for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well, which is all of us who are not Jewish. They come back and celebrate and try to come up with an idea of who's going to carry the gospel message to the Gentiles. We have our hands full here as the apostles, you know, just convincing uh, the, the Jewish people and the religious leaders here, what are we going to do? And Barnabas steps up and says, let me go get Paul. And Barnabas travels to Tarsus and gets Paul and brings him back to the apostles and they stay there and they commission him the right opportunity to go and preach the gospel so he can fulfill his purpose. <clears throat> Number four in your notes. If we're gonna, this, is the, this is the part where I want to, all of those first three points were getting us to this point of the message. And I want to, the, I really want to hone in here and focus here for the last little bit because this is the part that's really, that as I was studying this week, really um, was on my heart to, um, to kind of communicate. So I want, to, I want to put a map here on the screen. <clears throat> now, I don't know if you've ever taken an opportunity to look at um, Paul's missionary journeys and the the route that he took to be um the route that he took here we go on his missionary journeys but for me when i was looking at it this week it's absolutely fascinating and let me show you why this is a map of paul's second missionary journey if you have notes and you downloaded the notes or you have them here in the room it's on the the last page if you need a closer look but <clears throat> um Look, this is just his second missionary journey. Paul took four. Three of them are recorded in, in Acts, and the last one is kind of implied because of the date of the writings after he got out of Rome. But this is just his second missionary journey, and they start down here in the, Cicera, um, the, uh, the Jerusalem area, okay? And he comes through Antioch and Tarsus, his hometown, and then he comes all these different spots and begins to travel. There's no... There's no motorized vehicles. There's no cars. There's no, there's no um, um, motorcycles, scooters. There's no hot air balloons. There's not a light rail. There's not a bus to catch, right? Like, there's, none of this is available to him. The only way that he gets from all of these places is either on foot or on the back of an animal, like a horse or a donkey. And then when he crosses the water through an old rickety ship, and we know later on that he got shipwrecked because the ship wasn't built very well. 
as I was looking at this, and we're on point number four, follow God's lead, I thought, man, okay, so here's Paul. He's got his purpose. His purpose is to preach the gospel. He's committed his life. He jumps right into the fray. As soon as he becomes saved, he jumps right into the fray. He knows his purpose. He's going to preach the gospel. And then um, he waits at home, and he gets this opportunity, and the, the, the disciples and the apostles commission him out to go to this work. And then my next thought was, how does he know that he's supposed to go to all these places? How does he know that? How does he know where to go? Does he have like some map that somebody gave him? Does he have like this spiritual GPS inside his heart where he just knows that, oh, I got to go here, you know, or it's time to go or time to stay or, you know, turn left or whatever? Is he just deciding on his own? I'm just going to go out there and just start preaching. Or how does he know that he's supposed to start here and go all the way around here and here's Philippi? How does he know that he's supposed to get from here all the way over to here to accomplish his purpose and follow God's lead? See, he was saved. He had committed his life to Christ. He understood his purpose and acted in obedience when he preached the gospel to the Gentiles. But he had to have something else that was leading him to hit all of these different spots. And this is the thing that really was burdened on my heart this week to deliver to us as a church. Let's read Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. This is how Paul got to Philippi. <clears throat> Paul first went to Derb and then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. Next, Paul and Silas traveled to the area of uh, Hardward and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the providence of Asia at that time. Then, coming to the borders of Mycenae, they headed north to the providence of Bithynia, but again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. We boarded a boat at Troas, sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and then the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. <clears throat> so when they're right here, Lystra and Iconium, this is where Paul and Silas meet Timothy. Then they devise a plan to move forward. Philippi 
was not yet even in their sights. It wasn't even in their plan. Their plan actually was to go an entirely different direction. There's three last things about this passage that I want to draw our attention to about what we just read, about if we're going to follow the leading of the Lord. A is this, you're probably not working alone. You're probably not working alone. See, on, on every one of the missionary journeys that Paul went, he traveled with someone different. He traveled with Barnabas. He traveled with Mark. He traveled with Silas, Timothy. And the Bible says there were many other traveling companions that went with him. He did not go alone. And my guess is, we, we, we say this a lot here. There are no superheroes in the room. There's no one-man wonders. There's no, there's no supermen. There's no superwomen. There's no or Wonder Woman. That's the right one. Thank you for my resident Marvel expert here. Uh, and that's DC, right? Okay, go. I'm all turned around. I apologize. So there's no Superman. There's no Wonder Woman. There's no of uh, these people who just work singular by themselves. There is a collection of people going the same direction. Why? Because none of us is the superhero that gets glory. All glory goes back to God. It all goes back to Him. We're probably not going alone. The second thing in this passage I want to bring to our attention is letter B is that Paul submitted his plans to the Lord. This made me think of uh, the verse in Proverbs that many are the plans of a man's heart, but God directs his steps. And so I want you to I want to watch. I want you to watch how Paul submitted his plan to the Lord and how it changed the literal direction that he, event, that he wound up going. So here they meet Timothy, and they make a decision that they're going to go into Asia, which is this direction. This is the Middle East, and where we would, this is Jerusalem, where we normally say Israel. Down here would be Egypt. This is modern-day Turkey, and this is modern-day Greece. So when they're right here, they have an option of where are we going to go? They have a discussion and somewhere on, um, on, their, on their, their walk here and on their track. And they say, we're going to go to Asia. Now, in a natural mindset, that makes sense. It's the biggest continent, a lot of space. Let's go get all those people out there. Let's go spread the gospel there. And they're going to go to Asia, but the Spirit of God stops them. We just read it, that they continue on through Phygia right here, Phrygia here, and Galatia. They traveled this way because they were prevented by the Spirit of God from going this direction. When, when, we don't know how the Lord closed this door. We don't know if they got up one morning and said, off to, towards Asia, we're going, and they started, and then 30 minutes down the road, one of them maybe said, man, there's something in me that's burning that says this is the wrong thing to do. We don't know if maybe they had a, an arrangement worked out with some people who are going to caravan down to the next city. We don't know, and maybe that fell through. We don't know how it fell through, but we know that the Spirit of God said, uh-uh, that is not the way. The opportunity to go to Asia was closed. So what did they do? Sat down on the ground and questioned everything. God, am I called anymore? No, they didn't do any of that. 
They said, okay, if he's not going to allow us to go this way, we're going to continue to travel through Galatia because Paul had been there before and started the Galatian church. So as they get to the edge here of Mycenae, they go, man, maybe it's time for, maybe we just can't go down here. Maybe we should go up here to Bithynia. Let's go up here. So they make a decision. We're going to go up there. But again, the Spirit of God says, no, that's not the direction I want you to go. Instead of pushing through that and be like, oh, that must be the devil. The devil is a liar. I'm going to just push right through and go do what I want because I want that plan. No, they realize that God is orchestrating their steps. They're submitting their plans to the Lord. They still don't know where they're going yet, but they, they continue to move this direction because every time they start to try to go east here, God says, no, I want you, I want you to continue the other direction. So they start going through Mycenae and they end at this port, Troas. They spend the night there, and while they're spending the night here, after being denied the opportunity to go into Asia twice, they're spending the night here, Paul has a vision, and that vision is a man saying, come to Macedonia, right here, come to Macedonia and help us. The next morning, these guys get up and they have a meeting, and they conclude God turned this opportunity off here. He turned this opportunity off here. He's given us a vision that tells us to go this way. We have concluded that God is calling us to Macedonia. And the first step inside the seaport from Neapolis is Philippi. I went through a very a difficult stretch when we were waiting and I was begging God, tell me where to go. I will be 100% obedient. You just say, Matt, get on the, this freeway and go you know, 68 miles and then turn right and then go on this way and then get on this freeway and go 19 miles. I will do all of that. Just tell me. Never happened or materialized for me. Most people who I know that are friends of mine who have followed the Lord have moved in a direction to attempt to fulfill their purpose and the Lord guided their steps along the way. I would rather, as a detail-oriented, uh, overly per perfectionist type of person, I would rather God give me an entire map with all the turns and I'd be like, let's plan the trip. Let's go. I don't care if I'm asleep. Somebody else will jump in the, in the driver's seat and we'll get there as quick as we possibly can because I hate the journey. I want to get to the destination. But here, God shuts doors along the way of them pursuing how to accomplish their purpose inside His greater purpose. He speaks to them he shuts down opportunities along the way. Matt, are you telling me that I'm going to have a vision like Paul did for where it's going to happen? Nope. I'm not saying you're not going to. I don't want to create a theology out of what God chose to, 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 to do with Paul at this moment. What I do know is that the Lord confirmed he was going in the right direction. 
We shouldn't be pursuing the vision, the dream at night, that thing, because we want to be just like Paul. We shouldn't be pursuing that. If God does, deals with you that way, great. I am happy for you, and we will celebrate the, the great, awesome miracle of him speaking to you that way. That is awesome. But in some way, as you, you, may, you may be one of those people who said, I'm going to go this direction. I've given my life to Christ. I'm a believer. I've, I'm going to follow him as a, as a disciple would. I'm going to, uh, I've asked him what my purpose is. He's shown it to me. I'm going after a way to accomplish my purpose, which is inside of his will. I'm going to go and, and, and fulfill my little purpose to, to help point people back to Christ, to help people. I'm going to do that, and I don't know where I'm supposed to go. So I'm going to make it. I'm going to. I feel like it's time, or I've been given an opportunity to start doing this. So I, I start going and doing whatever it is that you've been called to do, and whatever your purpose is. And now, where do I go next on this journey? How do I continue making my way down the road to following the Lord? You may have made some plans. You may have put some things down on paper, some steps, some direction that you're going to take. And as you get closer to that point of pulling the trigger and executing that plan, there's a possibility and a high likelihood that the Spirit of God is going to step in and be like, hey, this is not the way. We want to go preach in Asia. Mm -mm. Go the other direction. You may come back and go, okay, well, the Lord closed this door. There might be another one down here and reformulate your plan again. And there's a possibility and a probability that the Spirit of God may step in and eliminate that opportunity that was looked so promising. And you may go, man, I sunk time, effort, money, energy, everything into this, going this direction. But the Lord closes the door. You're going to be tempted at that moment to, to question, hey, am I even hearing from God? Is, you know, you know, you're going to have this back and forth and some type of emotion is my guess inside of your heart. Some pull with your thoughts and your mind. I want to I encourage you to continue to go forward and find this opportunity that God would open the door for you. He's going to confirm the way based on his word. Pray. Stay actively engaged in his word. Stay right by his side. Abide with him and he will abide with you. If you are saved, his spirit is already in you. And that combination of submitting your plans to God and then saying, if he shuts the door, he shuts the door, I'm going somewhere else. And that somewhere else has shut the door, I'm going to keep going until he shows me this is the place I'm supposed to be. He opens up a door miraculously and he will confirm where you're supposed to be. This is not, following God at this level is not some game of chess or cat and mouse or anything like that. He's trying to get you into the right place as much as you want to be in the right place. The last thing that I found... Um, that jumped out to me in this passage that I wanted to communicate to this today is this. Paul followed God's call. See, Paul concluded that because of his closed doors and the Lord's confirmation that they were being called to go to Macedonia and they wound up in Philippi. 
This idea of a calling is something that's thrown around pretty loosely in, um, in the American church. And we hear a lot of people say, man, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And I would say, I know what you mean, but um, yes, every single person is called to ministry. Not the, the pastors and the staff and the leaders and the volunteers. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 lines that out. And he, being God, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. All of us as believers have the title of minister, not just me or the person who sits behind this, there's no pulpit here, but behind this mic and teaches people. Everybody has the label of minister on them. But when we talk about a calling, what I want to do is take the mystery out of that. What is my calling? What is my, you know, where am I supposed, what am I called to do? And we hear that a lot. A calling is the place and method that God desires us to fulfill our purpose from Him. These men determined that because of closed-door, closed-door vision and confirmation, that they were being called to go here. Our first calling as people is to Christ. But our next calling at that level of discipleship, where we're going to commit our life to Him and try to go wherever He says to go, that is the place and the method God desires for us to fulfill our purpose in Him. How did Paul and Silas and Timothy get to Philippi? God called them there. But that calling went through several closed doors, a miraculous opportunity, and a confirmation. If we're going to be people who truly follow where the Lord is leading us, we got to commit our life to the Lord, ask Him to reveal His purpose, act in obedience, and then be willing to really follow His direction, which is going to entail the Spirit of God closing opportunities and opening others for us. <clears throat> and then confirming in the right direction. Can I just pick what I want to do? Mm -mm. Can I just pick the place I want to go? Well, I mean, I guess you could. You have freedom, you have choice. Can I just go there and try it? Yeah. Can I just work on my craft and figure out my gift and let that be my thing? You could. But if you're going to be someone who truly follows the Lord, you're gonna find all of that is wildly unfulfilling. Why? Because your gift can never be your purpose. My hunch here is the reason that God wants to communicate this message today is this. There are people who are in this room or who will listen to this later who are trying to figure out which direction to go. 
I'm trying to follow the Lord, but I don't know what to do. Let us look at the life of Paul and the way he followed the Lord and follow his example in letting the Lord give us our purpose and reveal our calling. How did Paul get there? How did he get to Philippi? God called him there. 